Good evening to everyone. Surprise, surprise, surprise. It's me again. Um, we're going to do today, or to this, e this evening actually, um, part uh, 12 of uh, things about the Lord's Prayer that makes you want to say, hmm, the characteristics of God's model prayer. Uh, and we talked about last time the dignity of causality. And then I don't know, I don't know, we, we may get into, and I'm hoping we get into uh, prayer in spiritual warfare. Uh, so let us, um, let us bow for a word of prayer. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. You, O oh Lord, are a shield about us. Your glory and the lifter of our heads. As the psalmist said, we would have fainted unless we had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, Father, grant us the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of you. We pray that the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, that we will know what is the hope of your calling and what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Cause us, cause me to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We ask these and all the blessings in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was thinking, um, Pastor Messick did a beautiful job um, on a few messages back on the word lenticular. And um, I'm going to give you my uh, cliff notes on that word lenticular. Um, in Psalms 36, 7 and 9, the Bible says, how precious, Lord, is your grace. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the rich bounty of your house. And you have them drink from the stream of your delights. Now here, here's lenticular in, in, the, in the cliff notes. Here it is. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. So I may repeat some things, but what we want to do is we want to look at some of the things that have already been taught, but we want to see it in a lenticular or through a lenticular um, lens. We talked about probably about three messages ago, um, the, the account in Luke 11, 1 to 13, and actually they run a parallel between the two, and then Luke 18, 1 to 14. And, and, and if you look at them, it's, it's amazing at, at, at how the, the, the two um, scriptures run a parallel, and you can actually conflate the two together. In Luke 1, or Luke 11, 1 to 4, um, 
it said that Jesus was praying at a certain time. We talked about this before, and it said when he finished, the disciples came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And, and, in, and in Luke 5, 16, I said this before, but it's safe. He made a practice of withdrawing to remote places in order to pray. So the Lord, the disciples wanted to learn how to pray from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, and in Romans 8, 26, the Bible says the spirit also helps our weaknesses so if you really want to learn how to pray, ask the Holy Spirit, and he'll teach you. So they came to him. Now watch this. They came to him in humility. They saw, watch it, they saw the success of Jesus' ministry, or the success of Jesus' ministry was in the fellowship with his father in prayer. Mo Thomas of Don Keefley Ministries said this. Now watch this. Unlearning is the highest form of learning. Some uh, scripture references would be Jeremiah um, 1, 9, and 10, and Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Let me say that again. Unlearning is the highest form of learning. So they, they wanted to enter into the to the mimesis, and I was talking to, to, to Brother Love the other night, and he mentioned that word. I said, well, it's funny you would mention that word because I actually have it in my notes. But they wanted to enter into the mimesis of their Lord in their own prayer lives. And that's what we would want to do is enter into the mimesis of the Lord in our prayer life. So in the Lucan account, in... Um, uh, Luke 11, 2 to 4, conflated with Luke 18, 1. Now, now, remember what they said, teach us how to pray. But in Luke 18, 1, Jesus says this. And then he told them a parable. And, he, and, 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 and that's what he said. He said that men need always to pray and not faint. Pray what? How about praying the Lord's Prayer, who is God's, what is God's model prayer. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord turn your hearts toward the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. Men ought always to pray and not faint. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Luke 5, or Luke 11, 5 to 13, the parable about the persistent friend who took on the role of an intercessor. Followed by, I'm just kind of doing a, a brief synopsis on, 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 these, on these portions of scripture. Followed by, um, keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking, and the heartbeat of the Father 
when we pray. Conflate it with Luke 18, 2 to 8, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. And when you conflate them together, they both have the same, they, they both have the same message. And in, in that parable, it says that she kept on bothering the unjust judge. And, and um, I like what, what, what someone said, that she keeps, she keeps giving me a headache. In other words, shameless audacity. I love that. That's what the, um, um, one, one, one version of the scripture says. Shameless audacity. Shameless boldness. Shameless persistence in prayer. In Luke 18, 9 to 14, now this is, this is really what I want to touch on. Um, in Luke 18, 9 to 14, what we see is, now, now Jesus is still talking about prayer here. And he gave, and these are all really parables. They were all really parables in, 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 uh, in Luke 18 and also in Luke 11. But in this particular parable, I think he's really trying to tell us something here. Two opposing systems in prayer. I'll say that again. Two opposing systems in prayer. Let me say religious versus redemption. Religion, I should say, religion versus redemption. You remember in uh, Luke 11.1, 1, it said, teach us how to pray. And men ought always to pray and not faint. So teach us how to pray. And in the process of you teaching us how to pray, you will teach us how not to pray. It just, it just speaks for itself. <laughs> so there was a um, Pharisee and there was a uh, tax collector. The Pharisee speaks of, and we talked about this before, double outcome judgment. So in, in, in 1819, I kind of went ahead of myself, and he was told this, a parable of certain ones who trusted, no, I didn't, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now watch it. He, they trusted in themselves. He told a parable about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the religious side of, of the prayer life. Uh, the Net Bible says, who were confident that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. Hmm. In the New Jerusalem Bible, it said, who prided themselves on being upright, despising everyone else. Not interesting. The characteristics of the two opposing systems in prayer. I'm moving right along here. I'm already on four page, uh, page four, four page, page four. In Luke uh, 18.10, two men went up to temple went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee, the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee presents, now watch this, the Pharisee presents modern day traditions of men 
Christendom, thought, religion, double outcome judgment, devaluation of the cross. Jorgen Moltmann said this, and it's, and it's worthwhile repeating. It's safe. It's always safe to repeat. It's always safe. In his book, The Coming of God, on page 244, and I love this, he said this, the Pharisee, or I actually put the Pharisee, but I'm gonna, and then after that I'll say what, what, what Jorgen said. The Pharisee represents the doctrine of double outcome judgment. Now watch this. The expression of a tremendous, the expression of a tremendous self-confidence on the part of human beings. That's double outcome judgment. That's, uh, that's pretty much what Christendom is about in the United States of, uh, of America today. Uh, a tremendous confidence on the part of human beings. And he says this, if the decision of faith or disbelief has eternal significance, then eternal destiny, salvation or damnation lies in the hands of human beings. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In Jonah 2.9, Psalms 3.8, Revelation 7.10. It is not a bilateral, conditional contract. I'll say that again. It is not a bilateral, conditional contract. What will happen to people in eternity really depends on their own behavior. Christ becomes a person's Savior, only when that person has accepted him by faith. In Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee, that's what it said, the Pharisee took his stand when he went up to temple. He literally went up to temple so that, first of all, his self-righteousness could be seen. And, I, and I, I've actually kind of maybe come to the conclusion that maybe, maybe that's why God shut us, shut us down. So our self-righteousness will not be seen. Hmm. Because it's kind of hard to see your self-righteousness if you're in your, if you're in your closet. Hmm. Just a thought. Just a thought. <laughs> he, 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 he stuck in an attitude of vulgar or pretentious display designed to impress mm. or to be noticed where he could be seen in the, in the, I could just see him standing there. I could just see him standing there. Arrogant and full of pride. But then it, then it kind of takes a turn. And I like what Jesus said in John 5, 42. He says, but I know you. He says, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourself. Pay attention to that. I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourself. It's one of the problems with Christianity today is that we do not have the love of God in our hearts. Hmm. Isaiah 65, stand away from me because I am holier than thou. And, and the Lord said, that's like a smoke in my nostrils. 
a fire that burns all the day instead of it being a sweet aroma of prayer that comes through the saints. It actually becomes a smoke in his nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. What is that self-righteousness, pride, and arrogance? Hmm. The total opposite of Revelation 8, 3, and 4, and 2 Corinthians 2, 14, and 16. And Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, hastain me. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say, they have their reward. Hmm. The Pharisee, and I said that before, the Pharisee went to temple to be seen. And when he prayed, guess what he did? He prayed about himself. And this is some of the things that I said before, but it's worthwhile teaching. But I want to go into another aspect of it that I had not seen or I had seen before. But I remember pastor telling me that green wood does not burn. <laughs> Think about that one. Soliloquy, speaking one's thoughts aloud with his own soul. A complacent recital of his own virtues. For his own self-satisfaction. Ooh, wow. Not fellowshipping with God. Though he addressed God. Hmm. See, that's the, that's the, now watch it. That's the effect of the hell doctrine. I'll say it loud. That's the effect of the hell doctrine. Double outcome judgment. The expression of a t- tremendous self-confidence in his religious credentials or his religious resume. See, see, uh, see, under the hell doctrine, we got to get it right. So that's why we come up with all these rules, because if you don't have those rules, chances are you're going to go, but we're not going to go. But under the hell doctrine, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. Hmm. In Proverbs 28, 9, as for a man whose ear is turned from hearing the law, even his prayers is disgusting. Disgusting. In Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Hmm. Christendom. Without a cross. I'll say that again. Christendom without a cross. They become in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, enemies of the cross of Christ. Hmm. Confidence in the flesh in Philippians 3, 4. In Galatians 6, 13. It's really amazing because in Galatians 6.13, I think they even say that they even boast in your flesh. If they can get you to do something, not only do they boast in their own flesh, they'll boast in your flesh. You know, I got them walking the walk and talking the talk. You see all my people in my church? That's what they do. I'm going to boast in their flesh. You already boasted in your flesh. Now you're going to boast in their flesh. Hmm. So this is what he said. And this is, this is what I want. 
this is where the danger comes in at. And I, and I think this is one of the reasons why we're, well, one of the reasons. And in, and in 1811b, he says, oh, God. This is his prayer. He's praying to God. Now, watch, watch what he says here. That's what, and we, we talked about this before, but, I'll, but, you know, but we're going to see it with a, a lenticular lens this time. Watch this. Oh, God. I can hear him. Oh, God. I thank you. I thank you. Oh, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God of Balaam's ass. Oh, God. I'm, I'm glad that, that I'm not. Watch what the, what the translation says. I'm glad that I'm not like the rest of humanity. Because I have a tremendous confidence in myself. No cross. There's no cross in the picture. Hmm. One translation says this, New Living Translation. I thank you, God, that I'm not like a sinner like everyone else. And it's amazing because when you enter into humility, just like Paul, Paul considered himself to be the chief of sinners. Hmm. Different mindset. Hmm. And then he, then he, then he says, then he, watch it, watch it, watch it, he says, and, and he says, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers. Watch it. And this is where the danger comes in at. This is where the danger comes in. Or even like this tax collector. Hmm. Well, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Hmm. And he, and he operated in, and, and this is what the world operates in. I think I said it in my last message. He operated in relative righteousness. A relative righteousness. I'm glad that I'm not like other men. That's a relative righteousness because you don't understand the righteousness which comes by Jesus Christ, the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ. And we enter into, we enter into, watch this, we enter into church lady syndrome. Well, isn't, isn't that special? Isn't that special? Mm-hmm. You're smoking those cigarettes. Isn't that special? I guess you're, you're, you, you, got, you got one foot in already, don't you? That's church lady syndrome. I don't know if you ever watched the church lady on, um, Dana Carvey always did church lady on Saturday Night Live. But it's a church lady syndrome. Relative righteousness. See, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Hmm. You need to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll find out what you're really like. Hmm. And in Luke 6, 37, it says this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven in time. Hmm. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, because people always say, well, you know, you know, you know, uh, brother preacher. That's what they say in the Baptist church. You know, brother preacher. Um, that doctrine of the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ, that, that, that gives everybody a license shit. Like you're not. Hmm. In Galatians 6, 7, and 8, it says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, he also reaps. And you can look at Hosea 8, 7a. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life 
from the Spirit. Hmm. Here's a good one. This is a good one. In Matthew 6, 12, it's part of now. I'm te- guess what? I'm into the Lord's Prayer. Matthew, <coughs> somebody said about time. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us as we forgive others. Now, now just think of the, think of the, um, think of the Pharisee's attitude, his mental attitude. Um, the complete Jewish Bible says this. Forgive us what we have done wrong as we too have forgiven those who have wronged us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Christendom today we got to get it right in the hell doctrine. The cross is only big enough for a few of us. Hmm. The cross is only big enough for a few of us. But, but listen, watch this attitude. I am forgiven, but they're not. Hmm. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. I am forgiven, but they're not. Hmm. Very interesting. And in Matthew 18, 32 to 33, Jesus said this in a parable, you evil servant, I made you free of all your debt. I think the guy, if I'm not mistaken from what I read, I thought the guy owed well over, well over, um, I, 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 I want to say, I'm going to say billions of dollars. I, that's, I, don't, I don't know if that's right or not. Because of your request to me. Was it not right for you to have mercy on the other other servant, even as I had mercy on you? Do you know the servant that he did not forgive, only owed him like a hundred bucks? That's Christianity today. In the nutshell, you got your Bibles. I'm going to take a water break, and you turn to your Bible. I got Pauletta here. Turn to your Bible to... uh, Hebrews 9, 3. I remember years ago. I almost spilled my water. I remember years ago, Pastor Knapp taught this. Years ago. Now watch this. This is, this is, this is, this is, uh, years ago he taught this. I think it might have been at Soldiers and Sailors. We might have been at Soldiers and Sailors. Anyway, it was amazing how the Holy Spirit brings back, brings back his word to you. But in Hebrews 9, 3, be attentive. Behold, the second curtain, the tabernacle, he's talking about the tabernacle, not the temple, the tabernacle, was called the Holy of Holies. It contained the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant. Now be attentive. Covered with gold on all sides. Now watch this. In which, be attentive, in which there was in, in the ark, in the ark there was a gold jar containing manna. That speaks of sin against God's provision. 
in Numbers 21, 5. And the rod of Aaron that had budded. That speaks against, now watch it, sin against God's authority. In Numbers 17, 5 and 10. And the tablets of the covenant. That speaks of sin against God's law. And you'll find that in 1 Corinthians 10.5, Hebrews 3.17, and Hebrews 3.7-12. Now, you got your Bible, <laughs> Pauletta. Turn to Exodus 25. This is, this is, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. Exodus 25, verse 20. And this is the actual account. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering, watch it, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces, now watch this, the faces of the cherubim are to be turned Towards the mercy seat. Hmm. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Hmm. And in the ark, now this is the account that, 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 that's in, in, um, in Exodus. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And we said that the testimony uh, was the sin against God's law. Hmm. And from above the mercy seat, now watch this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm jumping ahead of myself. You shall put the testimony which I shall give you and there, now watch this, from above the, the mercy seat, there I will meet with you. Where? Above the mercy seat. Where are the sins at? The sins are inside the ark. What covers the sins? The mercy seat. I will meet you at the mercy seat. I will meet you at the mercy seat. From above, I will meet you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, and I will speak to you. Hmm. I will speak to you, Dabar in the Hebrew. That means to commune. Where? At the mercy seat. I will meet you at the mercy seat. I will commune with you at the mercy seat. Guess what heaven's attention is focused on? The mercy seat. What is our attention focused on? Hmm. Wow. To tell you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, because the commandments of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And Matthew twenty two thirty eight 38 to 40, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. So question. Here's my question. Did the Pharisees' prayer bring divine discipline on himself by removing the mercy seat and looking inside the ark? It's a couple Old Testament examples. This is the, the, Testament, the Old Testament are examples for us. If you want to look at uh, 2 Samuel 6, 6 to 7, I believe, um, I believe that was Uzzah. And then also 1 Samuel chapter 5, when the Philistines decided to steal the ark. See how that worked out for them. Hmm. See how they worked. See, see, see how that worked out for the Philistines. Hmm. And their pagan god. Now this 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 intrigued me. I, I, I went downstairs yesterday morning, and as soon as I got down there, um, I actually opened up the mirror Bible, and the Lord had directed me to this particular portion of scripture. And I, I was so intrigued with it that after I read it, I had to go back upstairs and show Pauletta because uh, she heard me say she heard me say when I read it, she heard me say, wow. So I had to go back up and, t- and show her why I did say, wow. But if you have your Bibles again, turn with me to first Corinthians eleven twenty seven. This might this might explain some things. It, it may explain some things. That's what that's what um, uh, Ricky Ricardo used to say. Let me explain. Let me explain. Therefore, watch it. Therefore, whosoever eats the Lord's bread and drink the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of desecrating the body and the blood of the Lord. To desecrate literally means to unhallow. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To unhallow. I think that's what's going on in our country today. We have unhallowed the name of God. Hmm. That's why the Lord wants us to pray the Lord's prayer. And we say, our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, make your name known to the masses. Let them know your character. Let them know your essence. Let them know who you are in your love. That's what we should be praying. Hmm. Instead of looking into the ark. Hmm. Remove the consecration from a person or object. Now, this is what the mirror Bible says. This is the mirror Bible in um, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight to 30, and it says this, Franciscus de Troyes, he says this, to see oneself associated in Christ's death and declared innocent in his blood is the only worthy manner in which to examine one's life in the context of the new covenant meal. Hmm. Anyone who partakes of this meal 
in an indifference manner, either because of religious sentiment, hmm, sounds like our, our friend the, the Pharisee, hmm, or merely being, I like the word, French word, blasé, about the meaning of the meal, eats and drinks judgment unto himself. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 12. Hebrews, why do you think the pastor is teaching the book of Hebrews now? Hmm. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. The human body of Jesus Christ represents, watch it, the human body of Jesus Christ represents the judgment of every single human life. Actually, I could add to that all creation. Hmm. To fail to acknowledge this is to deliberately exclude yourself from the blessing of the new covenant. Verse 30. This is the reason. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. This is the reason why many of you are suffering. Watch it. Not a problem to suffer, but suffer unnecessarily. Hmm. With weakness is and illnesses and many, and I like the way he says it, have fallen asleep. Hmm. Just something for you to think about. Hmm. We become drifters, not disciples, in Hebrews 2.1. Insights, watch it, insights are replaced by scatosis. An exclusion of unwanted insights. Black out of the soul. That's what you replace it with. You see what I mean? Because whatsoever a man sows, that what is, is he going to reap? Hmm. A not necessarily a oversight of insight, but a flight from insight. It's like, uh-uh, look at the hand. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. Hmm. Love replaced by, watch it, Rosantamont. You remember that one? Rosantamont. Max Schindler. Now watch what this is. A persistent feeling. (laughs) A persistent feeling of hating and despising. Always negative emotive attitudes can permeate a whole culture era, and an entire moral system. We enter into what is called the sour grapes syndrome. You can't get the grapes on the bottom, or you can't get the grapes on the top, sorry, can't get the grapes on the top, so you come to a conclusion after you don't try it in your flesh, I can't get the grapes on the top. So obviously, the grapes are sour. Hmm. Rosantamon. Ephesians 4, 30 to 31, Colossians 3, 8, Exodus 15, 23. Hmm. Religious credentials, 
So see, I, uh, Luke 18, 12, see, I fast twice a week. Hmm. I, watch it, I pay my tithes of my entire income. Hmm. He adds his religious credentials or religious resume to atone for his judgmentalism. We got to get it right. In the hell doctrine, we got to get it right. I remember, I remember years ago, we used, to, we used to belong to an intercession group, and it was amazing because what we would do before we actually started praying, we would gossip about people for about half hour. And then after that, we pray for them about 15 minutes. But, but <laughs> thank God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Mm, mm, mm. If you get a chance, well, I'm, I'm, I want to read this. I'm going to probably try to move along a little bit here. But in, in James uh, 12, here, here's, some, here's some good news. James 2, 12 to 13, keep speaking. I, I, never, saw this, I never saw this before in, in, this, in this scenario of verses here. But he says this. Um, in, in, in James 2.12, he says, keep speaking and acting like people who will be judged by the Torah that gives freedom. Oh, I never saw that one before. I never saw that one before. Uh, the, the, uh, the NAS says, by the law of liberty, the mysterious law of the cross. Hmm. What the mysterious law of the cross is? to transform evil into the supreme good and to sum up everything in Christ Jesus. That's called good news. Hmm. The Mirror Bible says, let the law of liberty set the pace in your conversation. Hmm. Because we, and, 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 if, you, and if you hadn't heard um, Pastor Knapp's, um, I think it was increment 47 on we see Jesus. And uh, boy, I tell you one thing, that, that, that says it all. That literally says it all, you know. Um, see, see we, we, we thus judge. This is how we judge. This is how we judge, like Paul judged. He said, I, I, uh, see the love of Christ, the love of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. See, the love of Christ now constrains me because now I thus judge. That's what he means by judge by the law of liberty. That I thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. And then I think in 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 in, um, in, in five sixteen he said he said I, I therefore now watch it watch it we were talking about sliding the cover off the ark and looking down into the looking down into the sins of the people and everything well, watch what Paul said Paul said I therefore see to truly see Jesus here it is I therefore I don't I don't know any man after the flesh I did at one time I thought I knew Jesus after the flesh but I don't see any man if any man's in Christ new creation that's why I say that's how I see everybody that's love. Hmm. I think it's First Peter 4, 8 that says love covers a multitude of sins. Hmm. And then he goes on and says this. Judgment will be without mercy towards the one who don't show mercy in time. Hmm. But ultimately, this is what he's saying, ultimately, mercy wins over judgment. 
or mercy triumphs. I like that one. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hmm. And we had the other person that went to temple. The tax collector. He kind of stood afar off. He, it actually speaks. It actually, and it wasn't a false humility. It was just, just where, where his heartbeat was. He, he, he stood afar off, which speaks of humility. And would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, be merciful to me, a sinner that I am. Hmm, it's a lot different than the other guy. Hmm. Kenneth Bailey says this. Oh God, let this, let this be for me. Make an atonement for me. You see, you see where his confidence is? His confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Make propitiation. Make an atonement for me with no merit of my own to commend me. Be gracious. Be merciful. You be my mercy seat. Hmm. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, O sleepers. Rise from the dead and Christ shall shine on you. See, the divine viewpoint, heaven's attention, now watch it. In divine viewpoint, heaven's attention is always, watch it, is always on the mercy seat. The slaughtered lamb standing that took away the sin of the world. If you haven't believed me, read Revelation chapter 5. And when John the Baptist or John the the baptizer saw him coming, he says, there he is, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whew. But I got a long way to go and short time to get there. <laughs> a sharp contrast from the Pharisee and the tax collector went to temple because it was appointed. Now watch this. The reason why the, the, reason why the um, uh, tax collector uh, went to temple, it was because in Isaiah 56 it said this, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Whereas the Pharisee went to be seen. Hmm. The tax, the tax collector represents the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ. And the same thing in 244, the coming of God. And, and this is what Jorgen Moltmann says. He called it universalism. Universalism stresses the all-embracing all totality of divine salvation. Watch it. The successful mission of Jesus Christ and the Christ event. Note, watch this. The doctrine of universal salvation is the expression of a boundless or absolute confidence in God. You know, it's a shame, and I know people They've been in the church for all their lives, and, and, and they, don't have an, they don't even have an assurance of their salvation. They're still one. They've been in church for 40 years. 
Why did I say 40 years? 40 years and they don't have the assurance of their salvation. Why? Because they've been taught double outcome judgment. And the confidence is not in the Lord. The confidence is in themselves. And as long as you have confidence in yourself, you always will have doubts. Hmm. Here's some scriptures to go along with what I said about the um, um, tax collector. Uh, Titus 3, 4, and 5. Colossians 1, 20. Romans 3, 23, and 24. Hebrews 2, 4. And I like this. I was talking to, I was talking to the Brother Love the other night, and, and, and he said this to me, and it just hit me. I like this. Song of Solomon 8.15. Watch, watch it. Brother Love said this, so I'm going I'm to give credit where credit is due. And he said that, and I said, hmm, I'm going to preach that thing. And he says this in Song of Solomon 8.15. Who is this? Coming up from the wilderness. Watch it. Leaning on her beloved. Mm. Is that the Pharisee? Or is that the tax collector. Who was this? Coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And he said in verse um, 18, 14, he says, I guarantee that the tax collector went home with God's approval. Hmm. But the Pharisee didn't. Everyone who honors himself will be humble but the person who humbles himself will be honored. Now watch this. The prayer that was heard and honored was the one given with humility. Hmm. Watch it. One went home, awoke. The other one was still asleep. James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints. That's exactly what's going on here in the United States of America. God resists the proud, but he gives a greater grace to the humble. Read um, 2 Chronicles 7, 13, to 15. If you want to talk about the dignity of causality, read that verse. Um, if you want to find out what's going on in the United States of America, where there is no vision, no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints, then read Hosea 4, 1 to 6. Hmm. Wow. I got so much I want to say. Where are we going to go? We're going to, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to hurry. I got about, okay, I'm good. Uh, back to the dignity of causality, and, and I want to try to maybe just kind of touch on prayer and spiritual warfare. Um, there was a guy in, uh, his name is George Beasley um, Murphy, and he wrote a book called The Theology of the Book of Revelation. And he says this, it's very important, I want to, I want to read this. I want to read this. He said this. We can pray to him who has almighty power, and it would seem that God has willed that the prayers of his people should be part of the process by which the kingdom comes now and then complete, even in the face of cosmic forces against them. Hmm. 
the interaction between, watch it, the interaction between the sovereignty of God and the prayers of the saints, the saints, is part of the ultimate mystery of existence. By the grace of God, individual men and women can change the course of history and to bring in the kingdom of heaven now and not then complete in Revelation 8, 1 to 4, James 5, 16 to 18, and the one that I just gave you, um, 2 Corinthians 7, 13 to 15, heal their land and conflate that with 1 Timothy 2, 2. And actually read 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Hmm. Conflate that with, with uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, I mean 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Pastor said this, <coughs> excuse me, the remnant can bring an uptrend in human history. Okay. Uh, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into the Old Testament. And that's something I saw here. Uh, in, in, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of forego the notes here. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, you know the story. Saul was a king. He was the king of Israel. And Samuel the prophet said, you know what? I want you to go and do battle with the Amalekites. And he said to them, he said, and I want you to kill them all. I want you to kill all of them, women, children. And then, and then you say to yourself, well, well why, why would he want to do that? And I love the way Brian brought that out because his mercy endures forever in Psalms 136. And also, because we don't know the implications if certain things don't happen, Brian brought that out brilliantly. And also in, in Isaiah 46.10, I will do all my will. Okay, so always keep that in mind. So kill them all. He said, kill them all. So, so Saul, what he decided to do, he decided to spare King Agag and keep the best of the sheep, the best of the, the cow, whatever, whatever to keep the best. So <clears throat> he was so deceived, he goes to the, he comes to the prophet and he says, I have you know, I've, I've done everything that you said. And, and the prophet says to him, he says, well, what is the bleeping in the background? Heard somebody, heard something go, bah. So he said, oh, 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 that, that, that you know, that's not, that's not really, not, that's not really a big deal. That's not a big deal. He said, because, because, and, and later on what he said, and the reason why I did it, because I was afraid of the, what the people would think. Hmm. So, so. So Agai, I mean, um, Samuel says to him, he says, well, you were supposed to kill everybody. And he says, well, no, I saved, watch this, I saved King Agag, the best of the sheep, the best of the cows. And the reason why I did, so I can make, watch this, so I can make an offering to the Lord. The prophet didn't tell him to do that. Hmm. So to make a long story short, in 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says this. You have rejected Yahweh's word. Now watch it. You have Samuel, I mean um, Saul, Samuel said to Saul, you have rejected Yahweh's word. He has rejected you as king. Conflate that with Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, 
because my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge I will reject you from being my priest in such a time as this. Hmm. Then comes David. David actually gets anointed as king in, 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 uh, in, in, in chapter 16. And in 17, for 40 days, here comes this, this, this big nine-foot-nine guy that had a helmet that weighed 125 pounds on his head, and he was def- um, speaking evil against the armies and the Lord of Israel. So, so David, he would bring food to the camp, and, and he finally said, he said, he made this statement. He said, ho, 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 hold on a minute. He said, he said, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defiles the, the, the armies of, of the Lord? So, so, so they end up having a conversation with, 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 with King Saul. And David said, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll kill him. I'm going to kill him, he said, because I've killed lions and I've killed bears. I can take care of this Philistine. So this is interesting. This is interesting. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 40, mm, then Saul had his own military clothes put on David, but put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. Be attentive. On armor, David strapped his sword on over the military cloth and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. Hmm. I can't walk in these, David said. I can't walk in Saul's armor. Hmm. David said to Saul, I'm not used to them. So guess what he did? He took them off. Hmm. Watch it. David took off King Saul's armor, the armor of, watch it, religious disobedience, the house of Saul. Hmm. I'm going to ask the question. Could we say that modern-day Christendom is trying to fight the invisible enemy with Saul's armor of religious disobedience, the house of Saul. So then David, what he ends up doing, um, he puts on the, the armor that the Lord gave him. Instead, he took his staff he took a hand, he took, um, he took a, 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 a handful of five uh, smooth stones uh, from the riverbed, and he put it in his pouch, and he had it in his shepherd's bag, and his sling. That was his armor. And David said to the Philistine, you have come against me with dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies, who you have insulted. Now watch this. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's. 
He will hand you over. Mm. I'm going to probably just end up with a bunch of questions here. Hmm. So if you go to the book of Ephesians, and that's where I wanted to go. I'm not even going to ask questions. If you go to the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God. So I guess the question that I want to ask is this. What armor have we been fighting as the body of Christ? What armor have we been fighting the invisible enemy with? Is it from the house of Saul? Or is it from the house of David who said that he wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple? Hmm. So you might ask the question, and I'm going to answer it before I, before I shut down. Well, what does the armor of God have to do with prayer? That's a very good question. So, so, so what I'm saying is, and, and I'm going to say something else about the armor of God. Is the armor of God a picture of the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ? And I was thinking today, the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ and the love of God. Is the armor of God the love of God, even in battle? Does God change his way of fighting in battle? Hmm. But then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, then what is the mysterious law of the cross? And I'm going to close with this. So what does the Lord's prayer have to do with the armor of God? I think we can answer that question in Ephesians 6.19. And pray on my behalf. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping my gun. Here it is. Uh, 6.18. As you pray at all times, this is, this is at the end, end of the, uh, right after the sword, right, and it just happened to be right after the sword of the spirit. As you pray at all times with all kinds of prayer and requests in the spirit and stay alert in this with all perseverance, and that's what the parables were talking about all along, with all perseverance, perseverance, for, watch it, all God's people. And I believe they used the word all three times in that verse. And someone had made, a, made, a, made an analogy that, that that speaks of the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ. Prayer is an ongoing conversation. Prayer in the spirit includes every form of prayer, whether it be a prayer of request or a prayer of thanksgiving or worship or intercession. So praying in the spirit with all kinds of prayer. In other words, you know, every, everything that, that, that's in your arsenal, that's what God wants us to use. Um, and it's really amazing. And then after that, he says, and pray for me that I might, this is, this is in, in, in 619, pray for me that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I'm going to close with a quote that Pastor Knapp gave. Prayer is the greatest and the most far-reaching kindness, agape's most expressive and always possible proof. May I have every 
well, it's only, only a few here. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Precious Father, we come before you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Father, a lot of this was, 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 was new material. So, Father, make it known to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. The only thing that you give us the privilege of doing is to communicate your word. You are, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the illuminator. So, Father, illuminate this to us and open our eyes, Father, that we can see the benefits of, of what you have invested in us as your children in such a time as this, Father. Father, that, that there's a possibility that the remnant, the remnant can be the, the factor that will alter human history. And we thank you in advance and we praise you for that, Father. And we ask this and all the blessings in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.